Sean Graham Scott, not alongside as always, as I'm flying solo here on a Wednesday night in the nation's capital, the last Wednesday in August as we get set to turn the calendar over to September. The curling season, I know, has started for a lot of folks out there. Once we get into September, it'll start for even more folks across the country and around the world as we make the transition from summer to fall to winter. But before we do that, we actually wanted to go backwards and talk about what happened this past January out in Las Vegas, Nevada with the Continental Cup of Curling, where I had the opportunity to head out to the desert and go to the Orleans Arena, hang out for a few days at the Continental Cup, and we wanted to take you behind the scenes a little bit about what it's like at one of these events. And the Continental Cup in particular is a very different experience from the Briar, from the Scotties, definitely from the Roar of the Rings and you know any, any of these events where the players are for lack of a better term, playing for something. The Continental Cup is very much a TV event. It's a fun event. And you can see the difference in the way the players deal with each other, the media, the fans. It is a much more relaxed environment. It's only for four days instead of the full week. Most of the people who come in, especially at the Continental Cup, are there for the entire event. Not as many single draw folks. We've even experienced that at Continental Cups that I've been to elsewhere, that when people go, they're there for the whole weekend. So it really lends a different vibe to it. So we wanted to go behind the scenes and and talk about some of the things that go on when the TV cameras are off. So in between draws or even after draws immediately. So we have some audio that I got from the poolside patch, the inside patch, and certainly down talking to some of the players about what their experience was like there at the 2019 Continental Cup. And if you remember, it was a dramatic Continental Cup where Team World got out to a very big lead on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday night, the North American team made a valiant comeback, you know, carrying over things, winning draws, uh, or winning ends, you know, Nicholas Adine was playing super aggressive as Team World only needed one more end to win, and it came down to the end. And Eve Muirhead, in the eighth end of her game, ends up winning it for Team World, and they actually didn't finish the event. Normally they do, <laughs> and this one, Eve Muirhead made the shot, and everyone seemed to agree that that, <laughs> that was enough, and that was the end of it. So Team World wins, and we'll go behind the scenes a little bit of, of what I got to do over the course of the weekend. So we're going to start out with some of the fun stuff that goes on. And after one of the morning draws, I believe this was Saturday morning, they had a autograph session, which is not unusual at these events. If you've ever been to a Curling Canada event, 
the autograph sessions are a major part of what goes on, but this one was a little different because it took place outside by the pool at the Orleans Hotel. All right, so we're at the pool at the Orleans Hotel. It's a little chilly. The whole pool is in this shaded area here, which uh, makes it a little chilly. Uh, two brave children are in the pool. The only two people uh, brave enough or stupid enough to go in there. That's quite cold. But the sun is slowly creeping across and getting into the uh, pool area. It should be nice this afternoon, assuming they do this again after the afternoon draw. What's going on right now is that there is an autograph session. All six women's teams are here signing. It's a big, long table. And uh, fans are just going through, and they're signing uh, hats, shirts. Uh, they've been selling these curling stones, these plastic curling stones that you can drink out of. And I've seen a lot of those being signed as well. So the teams are here and hanging out and uh, meeting and greeting with all the fans. Uh, fortunately, there's no microphone, so even though Stu's here, he can't really hear anything he's saying, which is always, uh, or can be a good thing. <laughs> so you gonna hang out here, here for a bit, maybe have a drink before heading back to the arena. So on getting back to the arena after the poolside patch, I was able to be there for the player introductions and the march into the arena, which was a nice return to how things usually are done at curling events. Curling Canada for a bit, and this was definitely true at the trials, and we saw it as well at the Continental Cup in 2018 in London, Ontario. They moved away from the traditional march in with bagpipes and went to more of a music video hype type package that they were trying to get people up and get them, you know, make noise and, and all this stuff that, I don't know, wasn't doing anything for me. So for the Continental Cup, they returned to the bagpipers. So when I got back to the arena after poolside patch, got the bagpipers. Now, if you've never been to a Curling Canada event or any event where there are bagpipes there, it really does set the stage, I think, for curling in a really cool way, which is why, as we always say, if you have the opportunity to play in a bond spiel at the Fergus Curling Club, you should do it. They pipe you onto the ice there. But there's just something about the bagpipes and sort of that, that, that traditional Scottish element. You know, this is a Scottish sport after all that brings you right into the moment, gets you prepared for curling. So I was very happy to see that Curling Canada brought back the bagpiper. So that was a nice little touch, bringing back the bagpipers. Uh, another thing that's very traditional at these events for Curling Canada is the patch, the inside patch. Now, one of the reasons, of course, is that the patch is normally inside is because it's usually cold outside when there's a curling event. So normally when you go to an event in between draws, they have the patch, right? So it used to be called the briar patch to go with the briar, but then they've expanded it 
to all of their events. There was a time where it was the Heartstop Lounge for the Scotties, the Briar Patch at the Briar, but then they have broadly just referred to it as the patch in recent years, which you know makes sense just from a branding perspective. And at venues that I would consider good for curling, the patch is gonna be really nearby the arena in a ideal scenario, it is in the same facility. So in Regina, for instance, at the Brandt Center there, there is the arena, but then you don't have to go outside to get into this large convention type space. And that's where the patch would be at events in Regina. So you don't have to go outside between the two. In Ottawa, when they had the Briar here in 2016, they had it at the Aberdeen Pavilion, which if you're outside for 30 seconds between the arena and the pavilion, you're doing something wrong. So those are venues that you really want to have the these events at because you can get from one to the other really quickly. At other venues that I've been to, it's not quite as good. When the Roar of the Rings was in Ottawa, you had to take a shuttle bus from the... Scotiabank Arena to the Sensplex, which is the training facility for the Senators, I believe. And there's a bunch of ice pads there where local teams play uh, kids type of sports and stuff. So that wasn't great. Kingston was another one where you had to take a shuttle bus, which, which is never ideal. So at the Orleans Arena, you can walk because everything's in the hotel. But to get there, you have to walk through the casino. And for some people, that's not a big deal. I, I don't mind casinos. I, I will play if I'm there. There's just something, though, about smoke <laughs> that I find unsettling. And I, I'm so not used to it anymore. When I was a kid, I remember going into Tim Hortons's or uh, going to wing night with hockey teams and stuff and just stinking of smoke. And now when I smell it, I just have this weird reaction to it. So walking through the Orleans Casino to get up to the patch, two different rooms of the patch at the Orleans Hotel. One was a bar and the space for up close or up front or whatever they call it. It's, it's sort of an interview thing where Stu is there and goes back and forth with the players. There's also some autograph space there. The other room was where they had their, uh, it was more chill space, but they also had the table curling, which is one of my favorite things at the patch. It's like shuffleboard. So you have salt on the table, but instead of shuffleboard, they have little curling stones that curl crazily. Like if you were to take the curl <laughs> from one of these table boards and put them into a curling ice. It's about 11 feet of curl uh, if you were to put it up proportionally. So a really, really cool thing there that they have at the patch. It's always fun to play. All right, so we're in the patch. Dean Moser, Ryan Stammers, hello. 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 All right, so we're at the table curling thing. This is basically, it's a shuffleboard idea there's salt on the table but they're little curling stones and the table is set up that it will curl you put spin on the rock it'll curl so we're going to do a draw to the button contest as we listen to like 80s smooth <laughs> rock uh so dean has a uh rum and coke in his hand stammer's just finished 
to Caesars, so this should be fun. It should be good. All right, so. I, I would note that, that on the menu here, they put Caesar in quotation marks because we're in America. And right. It's, it's a Canadian cocktail. Right, so. it's basically a Bloody Mary. A Bloody Mary and Caesar are the same thing? Except the difference is the Clamato juice versus the tomato juice. Oh, okay. So but they do, they do, they are using Clamato here, so they're, they're making an attempt to make an authentic Canadian Caesar, <laughs> even though we're in America. All right, good job by the uh, Orleans Hotel. So this is basically like a ballroom type space. They got a bar, a bunch of tables set up. This is the overflow room. We're not in the main room because um, Stu was in the main room. So uh, here we are. This is where the curling table is. So we'll do a practice shot each. So Dean will go first. All right, right in the eight foot on the practice. Stammers. Stammers goes all the way through. All right, now this is the real genuine shot. What are we playing for here, guys? The loser buys a bag of mini donuts. All right, fair enough. Okay. So, uh, who's going to go first? Not that it matters. All right. I guess I should go first since I lost. Because you lost the pre-shot, yes. All right, so here you go. Cut down the weight quite a bit. Okay, so it's uh, mid mid eight foot, and uh, I'll move it, Dean, if you come close to it. Okay. Pressure there, yikes. It's got to sweep it. You got to sweep it. Oh, short of the house. Stammers is jumping up and down. He has the same. <laughs> the practice <laughs> shot was so unfair. Stan, we, we've just discovered that Ryan Stammers is the same vertical leap as Kevin Cooey. Um, oh, winning a draw man. to the button. So congratulations. Mini donuts. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I should mention. Um, so when I was flying here from uh, Washington Dulles, there was an advertisement for a donut shop in MGM Grand. And there was a, a coupon saying... If you show a copy of this coupon, you can get buy six, get six free. So I took a photo of that page of Hemispheres magazine. Oh. So if we want donuts, yeah. we could go to the they MGM Grand and get a right. dozen donuts for the cost of half a dozen. Because that's exactly wow. what we need. It's a dozen donuts. <laughs> yeah. Because thank you, thank you, United. Yes, because yes, because nothing says Saturday night, Saturday night in Las Vegas like a dozen donuts. So there you go. All right, so uh, we're gonna head back into the arena for the evening draw right now and uh see if uh, team north america can pull out of this funk uh, they need some more stammers like draws they do they do yes. really do they really do take a page out of hemisphere's magazine and win <laughs> so yeah so after the uh, very successful table curling for stammers we did head back to the arena and one of the things that i like to do now that i've i've had the opportunity to go to several of these events and, and have the opportunity to have a media pass for multiple Curling Canada events is the opportunity to talk to some of the players a little bit. And, you know, I'll go and I'll, I'll get in the scrums and I'll ask them a little bit about specific game things, what happened. But I, I much prefer the opportunity to talk more broadly with the players about the state of the sports or what they expect for the season overall, things like that. You know, and, and that's where I find I've gotten some of the better answers from players. 
in the the media scrums and i've also found that a lot of the media people who go tend to need the answers about what happened in that particular game and specific quotes so if i wait till the end of a scrum i can get really good answers with nobody else around a lot of the time so i've really enjoyed the opportunity to do that and this year was no different i had a wonderful chance to talk to several of the curlers and one of the more interesting conversations for me at least was with bruce mowett after a game that he was playing where it was a mixed game so there were uh, two men two women on each team and bruce mowett was playing against uh, kevin cooey and Ben Hebert was playing, and Ben Hebert burned a stone. And it was obvious that Ben Hebert burned the stone. Ben Hebert knew that he burned the stone. It was a rock. Uh, it was a hit that had come down. And on the roll, the stone that was rolling hit Ben Hebert's heel. And, of course, the rule in that situation is that the player or, or the team, the non-offending team, gets to place the rock. And there was discussion on the ice about whether or not the the stone that in question would have rolled out or not. And it was a very lengthy discussion. Bruce Moat was very clearly torn about what to do in this moment because he takes if he takes the team North America Rock off, it's probably the right decision because it would have gone out anyway. But is it unsportsmanlike? Do you, do you not? Should you not do that? And there was a really lengthy back and forth about what he should do. And it wasn't with Team North America. It was with the officials. Uh, Bruce Moat was very torn and uncertain about what to do. And it actually got to the point, too, where the crowd, the pro-North American crowd was, I, I say yelling, that, that implies that it was negative, but basically encouraging him to take the stone off because that was the right thing to do. And everyone in the arena appreciated that. So eventually, after a few minutes, that is what happened. And then Bruce Moat missed his next shot. And he was clearly, to me at least, shaken up by it and unsure of what to do. So after the game, I had the chance to talk to Bruce Moat. So again, this is in a, in a context of an event that is not... The, the highest stakes in the world, obviously. It's not a world championship. It's it's not the, the Scottish championships or, or anything like that or the European championships. Events that Bruce Moat would take probably more seriously. But it was really interesting to have the chance to talk to him after a minor controversy in a game. So here's my chat with Bruce Moat after that incident. I just wanted to ask you about the fifth end there and what you were seeing. Uh, you seem, you guys seem sort of unsure as to what to do. Yeah, I mean, you don't want like you're obviously in America. There's fans watching a lot of them on TSN as well, and it, it's really hard to tell what stones are going to do. It feel weight, and they're spinning so much. And we knew the one that ended up in the back twelve was probably going to be going out, but we didn't know where the other one was going to go because we thought it would maybe spin up. And if it was going to stick around or if it was going to go out, it was really hard to tell. And, uh, because Ben, like the overhead camera, you can't really see what is going to happen because Ben's kind of in the way. So, yeah. so did the cameras, though, help? They sort of had the long shot from behind and one from the side. Did that help you cameras at all? Yeah, the cameras definitely uh, 
benefit us, but um, unfortunately we don't have like I don't know like tennis have the uh, shot replay and stuff to check. But if we had something like that, that would be ideal. But we don't, so we just have to kind of be respectful and try and understand what um, the Stones are going to do. But as I said, it's really hard to understand something and everyone has an opinion they're saying it's going to staff we're saying that they're going to go out so um, yeah I think it's a tough situation well what happened because you came down to the hack and then you started to go down again the official came out Mm -hmm. so what was that conversation there like what was the official saying well he said uh, something like along the lines of did you put it where you think it was going to finish and I said no because well I actually thought that one was definitely going to be out we didn't know about the other one but Ben had already kicked that away touched it or something so yeah it's um, basically I didn't really know what to do with the stones so um, I think it should have only been lying two against which is what ended up happening and I just played a heavy shot with my last so probably should have only given up two there. Did the situation affect your shot do you think or were you able to park that before you threw? Uh, I wish I was able to park it I wasn't sure if I completely parked it because I was pretty aggressive with my throw. If I could just ask you one question about the broader Scottish curling scene, um, it certainly seems to be um, pretty competitive now, certainly than what we saw, say, 10, 15 years ago. Um, what, what is the situation for you guys in terms of playing uh, those other teams and, and trying to come out to be able to represent Scotland and then Great Britain looking forward to uh, Beijing in 2022? Uh, yeah, the, as you said, it's, uh, Scotland's in a pretty good place with a lot of good teams coming through. And, um, it's very competitive back home. And, Obviously, Ross Patterson's doing great with his slam win, and Glenn's always going to be up there because they've got a bunch of experience with that Olympics they went to. Um, but yeah, we just keep uh, we need to keep our heads just in front of them, obviously, so get across that finish line. And well, the finish line's what? Who knows what the finish line is? But we don't want to always be ahead of them. That's the the thing I'm trying to say, I suppose. Um, so yeah. Terrific. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. No worries. So there's my chat with Bruce Mowat, and it was interesting, right? You could see, and I think you could hear it a little bit there, too. Even after the game, uncertain to a certain degree about how that situation all played out. And that's one of the things that I think is really interesting in curling and being there at these events is the players don't have time to go to the locker room before the media is there. To get to the locker room, they have to walk through the media area so you get them right off the ice before they really have a chance to fully come down from a game now a lot of them will take their time after the game particularly particularly if they are one of the first games that are finished so you'll you'll see it a lot of times where they'll sit and maybe watch for 20 minutes as other games finish or on games that are just blowouts, they, they will just leave right away. But, you know, the they do have a bit of a chance to come down. But generally speaking, it's not the same as in other sports where players will get the, the chance to go to a locker room first to cool off. You don't really get that in curling, which is kind of interesting. So at the Continental Cup, the media scrum area was at the far end of the arena from where the media bench was. So the media bench at these events is always at the home end of the ice. So whichever end is 
has the even number ends. That's where the media bench is going to be. That's where the TSN booth is. And the media bench is generally right below the TSN booth. So at Las Vegas, though, where teams were coming off the ice, was at the far end. So after a game ended, you had to get up and sort of hustle down uh, underneath the stands to the other end to talk to some of the other players who are always accommodating when you go to these events. They're very willing to talk to you. I've never had anybody say no to me. Uh, actually, for the first time even uh, that, that ever happened, uh, I was actually with Bruce Mowat, uh, not that conversation though, where Bruce Mowat had, had gone to the locker room a different way. He hadn't gone through the media area, not to avoid anybody, just that just by happenstance, he went a different way. And Grant Hardy was standing there and he offered to go get Bruce Moe and bring him back to the media, which is something that I'd never experienced before and, and was really cool. So the players are always really open and willing to talk to you. So over the course of the week, I also had the chance to talk to Chris Plies after one of his games, uh, BJ Newfeld. We talked a little bit about the new team that he was on, how he was feeling about midway through the season there with Kevin Cooey. And then on the ice after the game, I had the chance to talk with Eve Muirhead after the final shot of the Continental Cup where she wins it for Team World. So we'll run through those three conversations real quick with Chris Plies, BJ Newfeld, and Eve Muirhead. Uh, how's the transition been uh, stepping into this team with all the attention that's been on it? Yeah, it's been great. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't, if I said it wasn't, hasn't been tough sometimes to um, you know, when you go to these things and the first thing, you know, all you ever hear about is, the, you know, the Olympics and stuff. And I'm as happy as I am for those guys. That's still something that, you know, being in the game to go to the Olympics, you know, it's still something that kind of sucks. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's other than that, like on ice and stuff, it's been awesome. I, I think it's far exceeded my expectations um, or my hopes um, going into this year. And uh, I think that I think that we can really, you know, be a special team and, and carry on, you know, winning championships and stuff, and not make the the Olympics something that was, you know, just a, a one-off thing. And what about just stylistically between you and John uh, coming together? I guess uh, and Matt and, uh, and John too. So, like, how, how does how does the personality mesh work, both? in terms of just communication, but then shot making and, yeah. and how you like to play versus how they typically play? You know, for me, um, I have no desire to ever skip. I, I love playing third, and John, I, you know, John is a great skip. And I, I think a few years ago, um, I had to come to terms with the way that I handled things on the ice and had to work a lot with a sports psychologist and really put a lot of time into trying to become a better teammate. and. Um, and, and really work on communication with other people on the ice. And um, it went from something that I think I was horrible at to something that's one of my best strengths now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been good. Uh, John is a, a really smart skip. Um, puts me in, in a lot of spots, and the other guys put me in a lot of spots to be able to, to succeed. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, just for that personal growth, does that have anything to do with sort of being secure with a spot and, you know, maybe not, you, know, you guys are in a position where you have, you know, you're going to the Grand Slams, you're, mm -hmm. you're in good spot in sort of national championships, international mm -hmm. events. Does that provide a more calming influence for you? Um, you know, to be honest, I've lost a ton of finals, so um, it it is uh, definitely, I don't really think it's that. I think it just was 
I just had to grow up and I and I had to listen to what teammates had to say about how I was being and how I was affecting it. I mean, shot making is always, always that was my strength and I never really thought about, you know, the way that I reacted or the way that I spoke to other people on the ice. I never really thought that it was as big of a deal as it was and, and when you just have that spark to hearts with a couple of teammates and, um, you know, and you know that they have their back or your back and, um, yeah, I think it was just me just not not being stubborn and, and being willing to put in the work. And we have a really, really good sports psychologist, um, Carly, that we've been working with for the last like three, four years. And, um, and she, I, I owe a lot of a lot of that to her. So uh, how was that for you playing with uh, Brad and the guys? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. Um, you know, I mean, it was pretty, uh, you know, pretty easy going flow out there. I mean, it's whenever you play with new players, um, you know, I think everybody has the utmost amount of patience for everybody, right? So, so it was uh, it was good. It was fun. Um, you know, I mean, get, getting to play against him all the time, um, you get a feel for for how he calls the game and what he what he maybe likes to see or hear, and and uh, you know, I just try to you know roll with his game plan a little bit. And but I kind of you know, again, playing against him all the time, you kind of know how he's gonna call the game. So, so just be prepared for that. And yeah, it was fun and it was a battle and. Super well played game actually, um, so yeah, it was. Uh, I really enjoyed it. What did you guys see in seven? Uh, it seemed like there was some hesitation to play into the middle there uh, in terms of score and, and ends. And, and what were you guys seeing there? Yeah, well, just because of the format, right? I mean, you're trying to avoid that carryover situation, especially for us being down um, by a lot of points. You know, we're, we're going to have to press to to try and force some situations where you know we can kind of control our fate in the eighth end. Um, so we thought that. You know, if we could, you know, maybe make the harder shot, you know, it might force him into maybe taking a point, but he didn't bite. He just gave us a point anyways. And so, so you're in that, that one-up situation where, where he's kind of freewheeling a little bit, you know, he can, it's hard to steal in this game. So, so his, his chances of getting a carry over there are pretty good. And our chances of, of outright winning the game aren't great. So we're just trying to force a situation where he would have to take one, but I don't know if there's anything we could have done there, you know. Is, is it changing now with the five rock rule, the the calculation of coming home with the hammer and being down one or even down two sometimes? We've seen, we saw you guys do that uh, at the Grand Slam. Yeah. Uh, when you won, choosing to go down two, keep the hammer and score the three. Like. Yeah. Sort of. I, I mean, you're just, you're never, if you're two down playing the last end, I mean, you feel like if you make eight shots, you know, you're, you're probably, you're going to have a, maybe a 50-50 shot at something tough to, to win a game. Um, so... You kind of, if you get down early, you're kind of just working towards trying to get to that, that, that point where you're just two down, um, and then maybe you win, you win a few games here and there. Whereas in the past, obviously, you get two or three down, and you know it's it's good night, right? So how good everybody is at hitting. Um, so yeah, it's it's changed for sure. I mean, it's just allowing, you know, bigger scores, and and the game is just a little bit more fragile. Um, you know, and if you get down, you can you can come back every now and again. Hmm. And just one more thing. I know you've been asked this before, but somebody on Twitter asked me today, how do you not burn stones every, every time you throw it? Yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, it's one of those subconscious things, really. Like, I, I mean, I don't even realize when I'm throwing that my broom is, you know, right in front of the rock. And then once I let it go, it's just, you know, it's just that automatic get it out of the way, right? You know, it's kind of like... Michelle Menard a little bit how he had his broom and he, yeah. as he's sliding out he lifts it up right it's kind of a 
one of those idiosyncrasies that you, you really, once you get used to it, um, you don't even realize, you know, that you're doing it. Just, yeah. When you see it on tape, though, are you surprised sometimes that you're not burning them? Or? Not really. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, again, it's just, you throw so many rocks, and, yeah. and uh, it just becomes habit, and uh, just the way it gets out of the way. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, BJ. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Many times. Uh, is this your first win? Second. So, what was it like with you know, such a long streak in between? You gotta be it had to be frustrating year after year to come back. Uh, to, how does it feel to finally get the, another win in the books for uh, Team World? Yeah, like it's it's been a few years, hasn't it, yeah, since Team World had won it. Um, my first one by five years ago, my first one. So to get another one under our belts, really exciting. And what an end! Still that, was, that was exciting. <laughs> what was it like staring down that last shot, knowing that uh, you could you could put it away for your own team? Yeah, like it was. It, that's. I don't know. Like I was probably more nervous playing that than what I am in like a genuine like World Europeans because you're playing for everyone. Like you weren't just playing for for our own team. You're playing for the whole team world. And, um, just thank God I made it. Like it, they came so close that like they were crawling back and back and back, and we just had so many chances, and everything was just kind of rubbing the wrong way. But to play that last shot was was really exciting, and I guess the way it happened as well, like no one kind of knew who was shot, and it all was pretty silent, and then and then we get this. So, so it was good. So talk about the the opposition. Those guys dug themselves quite a hole, but by the end of the week, you know, came down to the the last end of the last draw to actually put it away. Uh, you must be you must be uh, pretty impressive that they were able to hang in and actually give you a run to the to the end of this game. Like I knew it was never over until the kind of scoreboard said it was over because Team North America were were always going to come back. Like they were always going to come kind of clamping at our heels and, and we knew we had to keep getting those points to, to stay in front of them. And we got off to a really strong start at the start of the week with the mixed doubles and things and um, I'm glad we did because when it comes down to like the last end when we were so many points ahead it's pretty scary but yeah what a comeback and we just did it for the crowd you know like it, it made it really exciting for them. How frustrating was it just to see that you're one point away and you just couldn't I get know, it? Like, yeah, like it is frustrating, um, but like we, we had we had three games going on and um, we just needed one kind of two in those last ends and thankfully it was me that, that managed to get that too. But it's a whole team effort. Like these guys have been brilliant all week and um, Dave and Freddie and Bumpy like our, our captains and um, coach have been have been so good and I think that's what's made this team so much fun is that everyone's got along really well. It does seem like a really tight tight bunch uh, that it was really uh, like a little bit of a family over there. So it uh, yeah. must be exciting to come through in the clutch and, and yeah, see the deal. Of course, like that's what's really cool about this team. Like everyone gets on so well. Like we see each other most weeks on tour, but we're always competing against each other. So to finally get to play with these guys in the same team is, is so much fun. And as I said, like we get on so well, we're having so much fun out here, and, and no doubt there'll be a lot of fun tonight as well. Yeah, magic might want to celebrate. So I'll let you get on with this. Perfect. Thanks Thank a lot. Can I just ask you too about how you're feeling physically with your recovery? And are you back at 100% yet? You feel? No, I wouldn't say I'm um, back at 100% just yet. And um, like this is this is um, this has been really really cool for me to, to play that winning shot because like it's been a tough summer. Like it, it's been a very tough summer going through surgery and and not getting back at the start of the season. So to kind of to kind of win that for for Team World with that last shot was 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 really exciting. But we can't forget like the guys have been awesome all week. Like um, yes, it came down to, to like the last shot and um, but uh, like we all scored points in the scoreboard all, all week. So um, like I've still got to work hard with my rehab and things. But um, I guess I'm making a few shots out there, so I can't really complain. Awesome, thanks, Eve. Congratulations. Thank so the other voice you actually heard there with the Eve Muirhead conversation that was actually Brian Chick 
who I had the pleasure of interviewing while I was out there in Las Vegas about his book on the history of curling, the modern history of curling, which we ran a few weeks ago here on the podcast. And definitely check it out if you missed that conversation. So my thanks to him for letting me in on that Curling Canada video. They, they were doing TV uh, and they let me stand there uh, and listen to Eve's answer and get in that one last question. So that did it for my time at the Orleans Arena. But before I left, I thought I would summarize my thoughts prior to getting on a plane. So I uh, went out to McCarran International Airport, got through security, and summarized my 2019 Continental Cup experience. All right, here at McCarran International Airport in Las Vegas, getting ready to board a WestJet flight bound for Toronto, connecting over to Ottawa. A rather busy weekend here in Vegas with the Continental Cup and again Team World holding off that big comeback effort from Team North America. Certainly, congratulations to them and a good job by everybody here in Vegas, the organizing committee. Everyone did a, a very good job and. You know, if you listen to the show on Sunday, that we released Sunday night, maybe won't be back here for a couple of years. The attendance was down a little bit, but certainly not a reflection on the organizing committee and the staff at the Orleans Arena. The, those people are really, really good at what they do, and they put on a very good show. And uh, so certainly thanks to them for all their help. Thanks to the curlers for their cooperation and to Curling Canada and USA Curling for hosting the Game of Stones podcast, being on the ground. So there you have it. A bit of the behind the scenes of my experience at the 2019 Continental Cup of curling out in Las Vegas. Hopefully that gives you a bit of a sense of what it's like at a live curling event and, and the opportunity to be there and talk to some of the players, go to the patch, do those things that you know don't always come across when you're watching the games on television. So I appreciate the opportunity whenever I get to go to these things. Always grateful. And hopefully you all enjoyed seeing a bit of what it's like behind the curtain at these events. So if you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts on Stitcher, tune in wherever it is you get those shows and like, rate, do all that kind of stuff. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Shawnee Fever. Scott is there at Scott Likes TV. So that pretty much does it for our summer season as we'll be into September next week. And with that, a bit of a return to the curling season. So Scott will be back with me next week as we'll get back into the action on the ice. And next week, we will look a little bit at how teams are setting their schedule as we go into the first year on the Canadian front, at least, where the points matter as we start to look ahead, believe it or not, to the roar of the rings which will be held out in Saskatoon in December of 2021. The qualifying process has begun. So we'll look and see how teams are setting themselves up in advance of the roar of the rings. So we'll be back with you next week. But until then, enjoy the last week of summer, the unofficial week of summer as we head into Labor Day, everyone. 
And as always, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...